0: All right, 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 8. If you remember, we went through verses 1 through 7 last week, and the, the real, the real uh, emphasis of that uh, passage was Peter describing two two sets of values, uh, ways that you live for one or live for the other. And last week, we kind of honed in on the negative side of that from verse 3, where he's talking about debauchery and carousing and drunkenness and all those things that we should avoid if we are going to be living out of the Christian faith, but also uh, we're going to hone in on this idea. The other side of that is those who would live for God's will. And as you're finding that scripture, 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 8, on this Father's Day, I think it's fitting to think about the influence of a father on uh, their children's lives. In fact, uh, the father impacts children more than they even realize or understand. Sometimes that impact is positive. Sometimes that impact is negative. Either way, our dads serve as role models either to emulate or to avoid somehow in some way. I hope for you uh, that you can honor your father on this day. Maybe, maybe he's had, a, hopefully he's had a positive imp- impact on you. Maybe he's had a negative impact on you. Maybe today is a day of grief for you. And maybe even you avoid uh, these kind of uh, holidays because they're a place of pain for you. And maybe your father showed you how not to carry yourself or how not to live. Either way, a father leaves an indelible mark on his children. And in the same sense, I want you to understand Uh, that you have a Heavenly Father, and His influence is going to impact your life as His children. And His character is modeled for you, and you're going to take on the characteristics, hopefully, of of your Heavenly Father, who offers you a way to live. And so I want you to think about how God's character has influenced your character. And even as we look through this list of characteristics to understand that this this is the influence that the Father can have on us as individuals, but also as a collective whole. If you look back in 1 Peter 4, at verse 3, there's that list there, that ugly list of what Peter describes as sinful, evil, uh, human desires, debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. That's what we talked about last week, and I got to see it uh, live and in person as I went to New Orleans last week for uh, the Southern Baptist (laughs) Convention. Believe it or not, Southern Baptist Convention was in New Orleans. I didn't partake in that, but I did watch it from a distance of what was happening there on Bourbon Street. What you could... Read on verse 3 is exactly what all these Baptist preachers saw as they're walking through Bourbon Street in all their Sunday regalia. That was interesting to see. But this next passage here in verse 8 describes those who are living according to God's will and who've been influenced by the Heavenly Father. Look at verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now I'm going to remind you in that list... He's speaking in the second person plural, which means y'all. And so when Peter is having this list, he's writing this to the body as a whole. Okay, a group of Christians gathered together as a collective whole. He's saying, y'all got to love each other deeply. Y'all got to practice hospitality. Y'all got to speak the words of God. Y'all need to serve each other. And so there is that second person y'all component to this of What that looks like in our community of faith. And so there is that side of it. But you've got to understand, we don't, our our community doesn't look like those things collectively unless you're living that way individually. Because our church is a collection of individuals who are seeking to live out this kind of faith. And I want to say this from the beginning. You are not going to be able to do this just because, quote, unquote, you're a good person, okay? You've got to have the Holy Spirit of God working in and through you. You have to have a changed nature because how God has changed you so that you can even live out these things. And this challenge is before us to walk more in lockstep with the Spirit and let him live in and through us so that we can even live like what's being described here in these verses. And so I want you to think for a moment as he's describing this collectiveness of y'all love each other deeply y'all offer hospitality y'all serve is that Peter assumes listen Peter assumes that if you're a believer you are connected to a circle of other believers you are in intentional community with other believers so that you can live this out uh, with each other and if I can just press you for a moment as your pastor if you are in a tender here listen if you are in a tender here and the vast sum of your experience at East Pickens Is in this room by itself alone, and your the vast sum of your experience here is in a larger room where information is being broadcast from stage. Okay, and by the way, that is a part of Christian the Christian experience. You need to be in a place where the word is preached, where uh, there is inspiration through singing and worship and all those things, testimony. But there needs listen. There needs to be a place besides this room where you're going to get connected to other people, because we only spend about 34.6 seconds every Sunday morning shaking hands and hugging each other and saying, glad you're here, glad you're here, hey, glad to see you, good to see you. If, that's what, if that is the sum of connection for you at this church, you are sorely missing out on everything God has for you, because it's, you're meant to be in the context of a community where you can operate in this way with each other, and that just means you got to do life with other people. If I can press a little further to say, You've got to be in some circles outside of this room. You've got to be in a connection circle, worship, connect, serve, and share. You've got to be in a connect group, a small group, Sunday school class, home group, whatever it looks like, where you've got the Bible open and you're doing life together and you're able to love each other deeply, you're able to practice hospitality together, you're able to speak the words of God to each other. That is an important dynamic. And that just doesn't happen in this room. You've also got to be in another circle, a circle of ministry or mission where you are collectively gathered, locked arms with other believers working for the gospel, working for the mission to advance the kingdom somehow on this campus or off this campus in the name of Jesus, ministering to other people. That's the relationships that you have to cultivate on a connect group or on a ministry team or or a mission team. Now again, he's saying here, uh, that this collective sense, this should be a description of our communities as we're doing life together. And we're not going to live for the evil human desires described in verse 3. But we're going to live according to God's will. And this is where we look in at verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. The first thing he says here is that those who live in accordance to God's will will love deeply. Above all, he says, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Proverbs ten twelve. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. This, this is a beautiful way to tell uh, the, the deep love that someone has is when they're... Listen, When they're willing to forgive somebody else, when they're willing to cover over, if you will, delete, if you will, reset somebody in their sin. This doesn't mean uh, like what Achan did in Joshua 7 of covering up his sin in this way. It's meaning to take that offense and even though you've been hurt, to cover over that sin and to move intentionally on your behalf to love somebody enough to forgive them even when they hurt you. I mean, has God loved you like that? When you sinned against him, when you sinned against the heart of the Father and he still chose to deeply love you, when he sought out reconciliation to you, when he offered forgiveness and because he loves you was willing to wipe away the offense and wipe away the sin of your life and, and offer you forgiveness. He covered them by his blood and he bore, his, bore our sins on the cross. And if you think about it, this is the ultimate act of a deep love. He said in verse 8, for us to love deeply by covering over a multitude of sins. This is the deepest love we have of seeing uh, what God has done for us as he has chosen to forgive us because he loves us. And by the way, I'll say it again. I said it a couple weeks ago. It's not a matter of if somebody hurts you in this church. It's a matter of When somebody hurts you in this church, if you're going to be doing life in circles and you're going to be getting close to people, you're just going to bump up over into each other with your sinfulness, and there's going to be times where the pastor hurts you, the pastor offends you, somebody in your Sunday school class hurts you, says the wrong thing, does the wrong thing, and what? listen, when that happens, you have one of two choices. You either respond in kind. When somebody slaps you in the face, uh, the world will mostly (laughs) applaud you when you slap them back and say yeah they deserved it but what did jesus say to do when somebody hits you in the face he said turn the other cheek that's not passivity by the way that's an active intentional effort to not hold that against listen to not hold that against them and to say even though listen even though you've hurt me i choose to forgive you and to love you anyway romans 5:8 says but god demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us. This is a privilege that we get to extend to other people and love somebody even in their sinfulness. You might go, well, pastor, you don't understand. That person has hurt me so much. Can you be inspired for a moment by the depth of the Father's love for you who loved you in your sinfulness, who loved you while you were yet a sinner, even though he was offended by your sin, he chose to set you free and to cover over your sins and to love you anyway. By the way, Uh, This doesn't just apply to strangers out there in stranger land or out in the community. This also involves married folks. When you've been hurt, when you've been offended, uh, when you've been hurt to your core, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when your spouse hurts you. What are you going to do with that hurt? Will you choose to hurt them back? Will you choose to forgive and set that person free? By the way, when you set that person free, typically many times you set yourself free is there listen is there anybody in your life right now who you need to love deeply and forgive if, if there's listen if there's anybody that comes to your mind this is this is this is the holy spirit giving you some insight into a, a relationship that you need to restore maybe you're the offender and you know it have you listen have you sought out reconciliation have you sought out forgiveness and said i've hurt you and i know and i'm asking you to show the heart of the father and forgive me i'm asking you to forgive me think about that okay that's, that's point number 1 go back to verse 9 of first peter 4 he says also offer hospitality to another to one another without grumbling by the way underline that without grumbling part that's an interesting uh, quality here without grumbling he's saying here that that we should offer up our our homes. And I want you to think what, what the depth of that really means when we say to offer up your homes. He says to serve other people, not just to serve other people, but to serve other people with the right attitude, not grumbling or complaining under your breath as you do it. He says here that a person who is embodying God's will is, listen, is eager to serve other people, is eager to open up their life is eager to open up their home so that other people's needs might be met. And this, by the way, smacks in the face of a consumeristic-driven culture that says, me, me first, I'm in relationship with you for what you can do for me. I want you to serve me, and I exist for you to serve me. Hospitality is the mark of an unselfish person. I mean, think about what you're communicating when you tell somebody, why don't you come to my house? why don't you come to my table? Let me cook. Listen, let me cook you dinner. Let me let let you into my world. I mean, think about what you're saying. When you invite somebody into your home, it's not just your home. It's actually your life. I mean, we live in a cocooning time where people just don't let people into their homes much anymore. Uh, Just the other day, I was driving down one of the side roads here in Pickens, and I saw a big front porch, and I saw some elderly people, and you could tell they had just arrived, and some old folks were sitting on the porch just reconnecting and talking about life, and I thought, man, I haven't seen that in a while. That's a shame, isn't it? That's what those big front porches are for, by the way, in our southern cultures, for people to hang out and just reconnect and spend time together like that. And listen, it's becoming a lost art. And, and, And really, we've been compelled to be hospitable. Peter says you've got to open up your home. You've got to invite somebody into your life. When you invite somebody into your home, you're actually allowing them into your life. I'll say it this way: your inner ho- your home is like your inner sanctum. It's it's really where you are, who you really are. And if you're hesitant to pe- let people into your home, maybe you need to think about why am I not, my, Why do I not want people into my life? What's the source of that hesitation? Some of us might be embarrassed by the, you know, physical uh, state of our home. Maybe we're embarrassed of our real family situation. Maybe uh, we come to church with this mask on and we like. Put it, you know, We kind of let this facade be known that we got it all together and we're perfect people. And if we let somebody into our house, they see all the piles of clothes and they see the disheveledness of it and they'll think something's wrong with us. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we're just too busy. By the way, if you're too busy for intimate relationships, then maybe you're just a little too busy. And there aren't any shortcuts to intimacy. That's time and effort and intentionality. So I just ask you as a member of this church, when's the last, listen, when's the last time you sought out somebody uh, from this church to share a meal or to come over to the house and just grab a sandwich? You know what I mean? Like just hanging out together. This, this beautiful picture of doing life together, to share our home, to share our life with other people without grumbling. And I'll just put it this way I can horsewhip you to do it. I can make you do it somehow. I can make you feel really bad for not sharing your life. But honestly, what Peter's describing here is if you've experienced, listen, if you've experienced the hospitality of God and the intimacy of God, then you want to extend that to other people around you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. To love each other and to love people in this community means to allow them into your life and to do so cheerfully. Open your home, open your life, demonstrate the gospel to each other, and let your lives be open to each other. Did you know in 1, Peter, or 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul actually says that if you want to be a leader, you can't, listen, you can't be a leader if you don't practice hospitality. Listen to this from 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, listen, hospitable, able to teach. In other words, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a pastor or a leader in the church, then you've got to be willing and open to open up your home and open up your life to others. I want to challenge you over this next month, the month of July, to take the initiative and hang out with somebody here from church. Maybe somebody you haven't hung out with before, but to open up your life in such a way and spend some time with someone and get to know some new people. Thirdly, verse 10 person who's living in God's will will serve others in their spiritual giftedness. Verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now, again, we talk about four dynamics here of Christian growth, to be involved in worship, to be connected in a small group. But also, this third one is about serving other people. Well, from reading the scriptures, that if you are a believer... God has given you a gift through the Holy Spirit of ministry to be used in this church. It might be the gift of encouragement. It might be the gift of teaching. It might be the gift of administration. Whatever that gift is, God has given that to you, yes, as a ministry to him. But look at what it says again in that verse. Peter says to, that God has given you a gift to serve others. Like, like there's a, a function of God's giftedness in your life so that you might serve somebody else in Jesus' name, that you might demonstrate the gospel and lay down your life and serve somebody else in Jesus' name. This is a part of our Christian responsibility to serve each other. I mean, I can't think, help but think about John chapter 13 when it says that Jesus showed his disciples the full extent of his love and he took out his outer garment and he tied it around his waist and he got down on his knees and he began to wash the disciples' feet as a, as a sh- demonstration of the full extent of his love for his disciples. And God has, listen, God has gifted you. God has given you abilities. God has given you a disposition. God has given you strength and qualities to be leveraged and to be used for the kingdom and to serve other people in Jesus' name. Listen, how are you using your gifts for God's kingdom today? How, How are you using the abilities God has given you to serve other people? Listen to this from Romans chapter 12. Paul speaking here, verses 4 through 8. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All of this just smacks against the consumeristic culture that we live in where people even view church. I come to church to be served as, a, as opposed to seeing church as a conduit by which you might serve other people. Let me ask you a question. Did you, listen? Are you coming here to serve others or are you coming here to be served? It's a good question to consider as you think about this passage. God has brought you here for a reason. And I don't believe God brings you to a church so that you can pull up a cushy chair and just enjoy the doctrinal buffet every Sunday. I don't think that's what it's for. Listen, I'm here to teach you. I'm here to pour into you. But I'm also here to empower you and to equip you to use your gifts to reach other people for God's glory, to roll up your sleeves and serve other people. And you've got to discern that gift And seek out opportunities to serve other people for the glory of God. Notice also, go back to that verse again. He calls this a stewardship. Verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. Listen, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Now think about this idea of stewardship. In other words, my giftedness, my qualities, my my strengths... My abilities have been given to me and they've actually been given to me on loan from God. And one day I'm going to have to stand before God and I'm going to have to give an account of how I stewarded that gift. In other words, I'm going to have to show the Lord what I did with what he gave me and how I used that uh, to grow his kingdom and to reach others and to serve others. I'm going to be held accountable as his steward. I'm just a middleman you know, up here preaching, I realize I can't say this, I can't do what I'm doing if the Holy Spirit is not giving me the strength and the gift to be able to do what I'm doing in front of you. Likewise, with every giftedness that surround us, we're just we're just instruments in His hands, if you will. I'm reminded here of a parable that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 25. It was about a master who had three servants. He went away for a long journey. And each of those, it says, he gave his servants, according to their ability, different amounts of gold. And he said, I want you to take this. I want you to safeguard it and use it and leverage it. I'm coming back. And when I come back, I want to see what you did uh, with that treasure that I've given you. He was gone on a long journey. Two of those servants came back and said, Master, you, know, you gave me this amount. I went, and I, I actually um, I risked it a little bit, but I invested it, and I did something with that. And actually, there's interest, and now there's something to show for what you invested in me. And here, I've actually multiplied that gift, and here I'm giving it back to you. Two of those servants did that. However, one servant took the gift that was given to him, and he buried it. He said, I know that you are a harsh master, and I didn't want I was fearful, and my fearfulness, I just buried it. And you listen, you don't want to be that servant because the the master turns to the servant and says, you wicked, lazy servant, and took the gift away from him. You don't want to be that servant. uh, Listen, I want to be the servant who has, as God has given me an ability, God has given me a gift that I don't bury it in fear. But I actually leverage, listen, I leveraged that gift so that it might expand the kingdom and others might come to know him. This is what it means to be a good steward of the gift that God has given you. So listen to me. If you're not using your gifts right now, I want you to think about why. Number one, is it because you don't know what your spiritual gift is? And that's a, I mean, ignorance of that is a a, a fitting and an understandable excuse. I want to help you. If you don't know what your spiritual giftedness is, you come find me after this service or go to the next steps area in the back here. Somebody from our discipleship team has tools. We have an assessment that you can take and help you figure out what your spiritual giftedness is so that you can use that for God's glory. Maybe it is because you don't know your gift. Maybe you're fearful like that servant and you have buried it. Maybe you got hurt. Maybe you were doing it for a while, but you got hurt. Something happened along the way, and you've buried it for a while. That's that's a really scary place to be. Maybe you've just gotten lazy. That happens too. Or or maybe you just got busy and didn't make that a priority. My prayer is that God would use this to, to nudge you. Because, listen, this is a stewardship issue, and you're going to be held accountable for what God has placed in you. And I want you to be able to stand before the master one day and say, Lord, what you gave me, I'm offering it back to you. And look what I was able to do with these gifts that you gave me. Look at the people that we reached, the ministry that happened, how I was able to serve other people. I want to be that servant, not the one who sets it aside or buries it out of fearfulness or even out of laziness. By the way, how you serve is important. Look at verse 11. In 1 Peter 4, it talks about serving here in a different way. Verse 11, he says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. We'll get there in a moment. If anyone serves, here's another quality here. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God might be praised through Jesus Christ. In other words, my motivation of how I serve is really an act of worship. You know, we think of worship as being songs and, you know, you know, the the dynamic of a Sunday morning experience as worship. But just as dynamic as corporate worship, listen, is your individual worship as you take that gift and you offer it up to God and you do it as a means of giving praise and honor to God and the motivation for why you do what you do, the motivation for your service is to give thanks to the giver of those gifts and to show him that you love him and how better else to show him that you love him than loving your neighbor The first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And so as you are loving your neighbor, as you're serving them, you're actually using that as a conduit of worship to God who's given you those gifts to make him famous. And by the way, uh, our goal should be in service is not to bring any kind of honor or glory to ourselves, not to make our church famous or our denomination famous, but to make Jesus famous, because we're said here, to him be the glory and the honor and the power forever and ever. Amen? Look at the next early part of verse 11 here. He says, if one speaks, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. He's saying here that your, your speech is important, how you speak. That, that, that person who's living in the will of God will speak as God would speak. What a, pow- what a powerful reminder to watch what you say, that the things that come out of your mouth, your words matter because they have great weight. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Peter here is giving a particular gravity to how the Christian speaks and how we speak to one another. By the way, Uh, You represent your heavenly father wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you say. Let me ask you a question. If the people around you that you have the most contact with this past week, could they judge by how you talked about things and what you talked about that you are his son or his daughter? Do they know just by how you carry yourself, how you speak, the things you talk about? Do they know God's character? Listen, do they know about God's character because they've listened to the words coming out of your mouth? and what you talk about, and what your heart gravitates toward. Because if that's the case, we need to be so careful as believers that we don't get caught up in haughty talk, or dirty talk, or false talk, or useless conversations. But our words are actually useful to build up people, to encourage people, and not to tear them down, that the truth might ever be on our lips, and that we might represent Jesus with our mouth. Listen to this from Ephesians, 5, uh, Ephesians 4, from Paul here, verse 25 and 29 of Ephesians 4. Paul says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Wow. Uh, I I know many of you uh, have kind of kept up with the story of my father. My father has Alzheimer's, and we're in the latter stages of that, and he's I've been bedridden for quite some time now. And so I have begun to embrace uh, the impact that my father has had on this community. I I probably have at least three or four people come up to me weekly, whether at Walmart or just in conversation and passing. And they ask me, how's your dad? How's your dad? How's your dad? And I'm always giving the update. And I hear hear this regularly. Your dad was such an encourager. I've heard people say this multiple times. I never heard one harsh word come out of your father's mouth. I never, I never heard your dad say one bad thing about anybody. And that has made a great impact on me as I think about my father as an encourager, the way he spoke and how he carried himself. And I want to carry myself in the, in the same way because, listen, as Peter describes you, there is a one-to-one relationship between uh, how you talk and how people think about your heavenly father. In the same way, I think that was at the individual sense here, but in the same way, collectively, we've got to be careful that what we talk about here uh, under this roof are the words of God. And what I mean by that is uh, that we stand on God's holy word; uh, that we're not going to be given into clever, alliterated entertainment here. Let, let our ears be tickled, uh, but we're going to gather together and we're going to mine the the deep truths of God that come out of His Word. And Christian books are good. Christian videos are good, but listen—if they're not anchored in the Word of God, uh, we need to be very careful about what we teach in our small groups. We don't need to use speculative materials that that don't spend the majority of the time. Listen—if the majority of what you're watching in a video lesson or whatever isn't spent uh, grounded in the Word of God, you need to just pull that uh, pull the plug on that on that video because this. Listen—if I don't have this, I got nothing to say on a Sunday morning. You understand what I'm saying? We're we're rooted here, and this is how we need to be rooted in our time together, anchored in the Word. And I get nervous at so-called preachers or pastors on social media who don't even seem to have their Bibles open and it's all a bunch of stories and you know just kind of a fluff kind of stuff. But if, 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 you, if, if the person you're listening to has got a new word from God and it's not anchored in here uh, in the truth that we've been given for the last 2,000 years and they've been given a new word or a new understanding, you better be careful uh, because we need to speak the words of God over each other and to each other as we have here and use discernment uh, That that really uh, puts the center of our focus on God's word and what he has for us as the anchor of community of truth for our our fellowship of of faith. Amen? The last thing I want to say is actually from verses 12 through 19. And the reason why I'm going to summarize this one point in this is that verses 12 through 19, if you've been here over the past few months, you know we have been really deep in 1 Peter. And really 12 through 19 is a summary of all the things we've been talking about over the past few weeks, about expecting hardship, expecting difficulty as we are Christians. But I want you to hear this dynamic, and there's a phrase here in verse 16 particularly that I think is important for us as we think about our collective uh, qualities as a community of faith. It says in verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on to you or to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you're if you suffer, it should be as, not as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However. If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, listen, but praise God that you bear the name. I love that phrase, that we bear the name of Christ. And this is the last point, that as a believer, we all, as as a community of faith and as individual believers, we bear the name of Jesus, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Again, in summary of what we've talked about over the last nine weeks or so, is that we should take seriously uh, that we are God's representatives in the world. We bear the name of Jesus. You know, in Antioch, they were first known as Christians, which means it was actually a derogatory term at that time, but it meant little Christ's. That we as, we, as we carry ourselves, are working apologetic for the gospel and how we, how we conduct ourselves as individuals, but also how we live in Christian community here together. As we've described this over the past few months, that we identify with Jesus and the world may not respond favorably uh, to us representing Christ in this way. We might be mistreated. Uh, we, we might be accused of, of doing the wrong thing. We might be insulted. We might be called meddlers, ones who stir up trouble. But if we have to encounter suffering, we understand that Jesus had to suffer on this earth. And so we identify in our suffering with the suffering of Jesus. But Peter reminds us, listen, this is where I want to land. Peter reminds us just in that little passage there that no matter how we are treated, we should not be ashamed for bearing the name of Jesus because we bear his name. And we have, listen, it is a privilege, Christian. It is a privilege to bear the name of Jesus. We are his representatives. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his mouthpiece. And so we should do so with great boldness and great great confidence and don't be afraid even if the world tries to, to shame us. I mean, are you ashamed of Jesus? And what I mean by that is in the public square, in the public sector, off this campus at your work, in your neighborhood, among the people that you do life with, do they know that you are a Christian do you try to keep your faith a secret from the people around you are you ashamed of that and I want you to take a moment to to really take stock of what you have done in the name of Jesus and for the name of Jesus at this moment that you have represented him remember I told you at the very beginning of the message that fathers whether they acknowledge it or not or all fathers have an influence on their kids good or bad and by the way all of you, are, if you're a believer, uh, you don't have a choice of whether you have an influence or not in the world. You have an influence. Is it going to listen? Is it going to be a positive influence of what it means to be a Christian, or listen? Or will your life serve as a model of what not to do, and how not to be a Christian? I want you to think about that. Something heavy to chew on as we close out today, because the responsibility is a, is a privilege, but it's a responsibility to bear. I bear the name of Jesus. We bear that name. How? Will we bear it? How will you bear it individually? How will you carry yourself? And how will, listen, how will we represent the name of Jesus together as a community of faith? So, in in thinking about that list, are we loving deeply? Are we a forgiving people? Are you a forgiving person? Is there anybody who needs forgiveness in your life or that you need to seek out reconciliation? Are you cheerfully hospitable? I mean, have you opened up your, your life to others? and open up your home to others? Are you serving others in your spiritual giftedness? Are you speaking as God would speak? Uh, Do you represent Him by your words? Are you seeking to honor Jesus and make Him famous? And how are you bearing the name of Jesus to the people around you?